You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone. As always, I'm joined by our lead pastor, Bobby Harrell, and together we are talking through and really exploring elements of the Apostles' Creed. This podcast series does go right in line with our in-person series here at Cornerstone on Sunday mornings. We'd love for you to come visit in person, but we know that our listening audience is from all over the world, so all of our media can be found on any of the major podcast providers, as well as on our website at cbc.family media. As we have these conversations, we always love for our listeners to be a part of them. So if you have any questions, comments, or anything that you'd love to contribute to what's being said around the table, we'd love for you to give us that feedback. So if you would text your comments to 817-809-3040, we would love to take the most applicable comments, compile them together, and respond to the ones that we think are most valuable to the continued conversation. Okay, so we are moving into the section of the Apostles' Creed where we start talking about the Holy Spirit. This has been such an interesting and really eye-opening study for me personally, and I'm sure it has been for you too, as we really go in and unravel who the third person of the Trinity is. You know, we both come from really traditional Baptist backgrounds where the Holy Spirit is not really talked about much. We barely talk to him. We barely talk about him. And I think Francis Chan actually calls him the forgotten God. Right. That's the title of his book. Exactly. Because He's just been discarded. I don't know, maybe because we were afraid of him or because... Well, one of the things you and I have talked about with the congregation as we entered into this phase in really the last five to 10 years of the ministry here at Cornerstone, which you've been a part of the whole journey. Yeah. We entered into a phase here where we realized reforms had to be made. Mm -hmm. It was no longer okay just to continue the way we saw the traditional Baptist church going. Right. And it wasn't for the sake of just being over the top or trying to be controversial or anything like that. It's just that you can't always rest on being content with things as they've always been. Reforms need to be made. And it's not, you know, we're only speaking about reforming the Baptist because that's our background. Mm -hmm. Our congregation is very much interdenominational. I mean, yeah, people here and for those who are listening and don't attend in person. Oh, I'm sure it's even more widespread. Oh, yeah. And so we have people from, you know, Church Christ background, Wesleyan background, Methodist background, Lutheran background, Catholic background. We have people from all backgrounds, yeah. literally. And they come together here affirming our nine core statements our of core belief. belief. Yeah. And we have an expanded statement of belief, but we find common ground in the gospel. Mm-hmm in the Trinity, in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and salvation by faith, in the basic beliefs right. that Christianity holds. And we decided we would work through the other things together as a church, which led to reforms that needed to be made. We explored the Apostles' Creed. It is the basic mm-hmm. statement of beliefs for Christians for 2,000 years. And it has been. I mean, the 2,000 years is a really important thing. This to should mention. not be controversial. It's not. Us. It's really not. And so we started saying it together as a church. Which, by the way, for people who, again, don't come from a Baptist background, they're very used to the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. Right. It's only the Baptists who aren't. Right. Now, I am old enough to remember in my early childhood, you could go into some old churches mm-hmm. and the Apostles' Creed would be printed and hanging on the wall. And I remember one as a child. Do you remember any old churches where they had the little attendance board on the front? Oh, yeah. Okay. So 
it was like that, but it was scaled. Mm -hmm. So this may have been like a four by eight, like a sheet of plywood or something size sign hanging in the church auditorium and the Apostles' Creed was printed. I remember one church as a child, listeners older than myself will definitely remember going into churches and seeing the Apostles' Creed. So the Apostles' Creed shouldn't be controversial. This is not a Catholic thing. This is not a Protestant thing. This is just a Christian thing. Right. So as we started working through the Apostles' Creed as a church, it gave us an opportunity to teach through so many basic core doctrinal theological type teachings that has unified our church so richly. Well, and given them the opportunity to be able to more clearly articulate what they believe. So if you know the Apostles' Creed, you're Mm -hmm. basically articulating Christianity in a hundred words. And that was one thing that we started off. I think even starting off this podcast series talking about is the beauty of having a creed is that it allows the excuse of, oh, I don't know how to share my faith, or I don't know how to really be able to express the gospel in words. It removes that as an excuse. Now, everyone who has it committed to memory is able to tell you exactly what the gospel is and what having faith in Jesus means the apostles creed as we articulate it to the church is a very trinitarian it is designed in three parts trinitarian document it affirms our christian belief in the trinity and as you work through those sections for example the section on god the father is just a few lines i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth well it gave us a great opportunity to go back really to the old testament talk about creation talk about the very nature character person of God. Yeah. I think that was one of the most eye-opening sermons right out of the gate yeah. as we worked through that. When you even discussed how his relationship is to us as our father yeah. and, and the why that terminology that. is in the Bible, yeah. why the scripture is referring in masculine pronouns to God. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that God is male in the way that you and I are male, right. which is also a bit mind-blowing to people who've never sat and really thought all of that through. Yeah. Then the next session is about Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And then it talks about his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Yeah, It talks about Mary in here. We had some great conversations about Mary. Oh, yeah. So many people have specifically commented on the Mary sermon saying, I've never heard a a sermon Sermon about Mary. Mary. But again, because it's in the creed, we're going to address it. We're going to talk about it. Right. And she has a key role. And we need to, in the same way, you know, you would hear people from our tradition really lift up John or Paul, these great Christians. What about Mary? Mm -hmm. You know, she was held in such high esteem by the original apostles. They looked at her like their mother. Yeah. And that was really what Jesus from the cross is saying to John. It was an actual commission that he gave (laughs) to them. Hey, John, this is your mother. And I think this is the relation. I bet they all called her mom. I wouldn't be shocked at all. At the very least, there was that kind of relationship. Sure. Sure. Now we've moved into the last section, obviously, which is I believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Now there's some lines below it that are going to talk about the church and other issues, resurrection and other things, Mm -hmm. but we want to just slow down because we're not in a hurry here. Our church needs to work through its theology, its eschatology, its understanding of the Holy Spirit. Because again, this is a topic that we in our own personal background have very rarely approached. Yes. For example, a sermon series on the Holy Spirit, you know, I've been saved for 45 years. Yeah. I can recall a series, but not much more than that. Yeah. In 45 years, I know my dad preached through a series on the Holy Spirit. I don't know that I ever have. I can't recall. I mean, I I've know. known you for 12 years now, yeah. and I, I don't in think In those I, 12 years, I certainly haven't. Yeah. Wow, we're way overdue here. So right. we're going to slow down, and you and I tried to define it, and we actually haven't defined it yet. 
We know what the next upcoming sermons all look like, but we're going to let this go until we feel like we have talked through with our congregation. Yeah, let the spirit lead his section a little bit. Boy, isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah. just let him guide <laughs> and what questions come in may guide some of this. Yeah. And as you and I have the same books we're sharing, you know, we're reading through the right. same things. You know, one of those books on the Holy Spirit that you and I were working through with a theologian that we really admire, it's a thousand pages. Yeah. And you can't digest that in a week. Mm -hmm. And so we've read through major chunks of that. We've read, you know, maybe three other books on the Holy Spirit in these last weeks and months. And as we're digesting that material and wrestling with what we want to say to our, again, we know our church. Yeah. So we have to take what teaching is available about the Holy Spirit and serve up beautiful meals to our people who can digest yeah. edible portions of the material that, and we know where their mindset is because about 50% of our church comes from our tradition. 50% is this very mixed background that mm -hmm. we have. And so we want to do justice to everyone in our church. Yeah. Not only that, for some reason, anytime you start talking about Holy Spirit, and you start really investigating what our relationship with him looks like, people get really emotionally invested in the conversation based on where their experience has been. For example, my wife, Erica, came from a very charismatic background. So her relationship with the Holy Spirit is very different than how I've known him. Right. And early on in our relationship, when we were trying to reconcile some things in the faith and, you know, we come from very different backgrounds, what kind of church are we going to go to? How are we going to raise our kids? And we have these very serious conversations. One of the big moments of contention was, well, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about how you relate to him. Let's talk about what he does right. and how he acts through you and in you. And coming to some common ground there was a really evocative thing. We really had to come to terms with each other's differences in that and find some common ground and really approach scripture in a way that allowed him to tell us who he was instead of allow our very different backgrounds to inform us on who he was. Can you imagine the irony of this? Imagine the irony of the Holy Spirit being a point of division mm -hmm. between a husband and wife or the Holy Spirit being a point of division among Christians in a church. Now, the irony of that is in 1 Corinthians, the whole book is arguing for unity in the church. Yeah. And Paul's appealing to the spirits working all throughout this book right. as the one. He's the unifier. Who unites you. Yeah. Here's why you should be united. We all have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Yeah. You've all drank from that same cup. You've all been baptized by that same spirit. Yeah. And Paul's arguing for the Holy Spirit as uniter. Mm -hmm. And imagine now us being divided, Baptists against Pentecostals, yeah. Lutherans against Assemblies of God, you know, people seeing these issues so differently and it being a contentious matter. Mm -hmm. I want to keep circling back to this type of thinking and really the atmosphere we've developed at Cornerstone. These are family conversations. Yeah. And in the same way, a family could have a robust debate about their favorite sports team or how to celebrate a holiday or whatever. Yeah. They're still family at the end of the day and yeah. they love each other and they would never divide the family over something petty. Not usually. <laughs> well, we hope not. Yeah, not right. you know, and the whole point is a spirit filled people will always be united by the spirit. We yeah. don't see everything exactly the same. But we're going to have to agree on the gospel, the authority of the word of God, the person of Christ. And now we're making the argument to our church in the person of the Holy Spirit, who mm -hmm. now you use Francis Chan's word, may be the forgotten God. It's certainly, we would say the neglected Absolutely. God. 
And you used the word experience a lot in your conversation with Eric. I don't want to get into this too much because I would like to preach a little bit about this Sunday and in the coming weeks, but our tradition doesn't speak about its experiences with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We're afraid of it. And again, part of what we've been addressing to the congregation here at Cornerstone really for years now, so really kind of what I was saying a few minutes ago in the reform conversation, we've been telling our people at Cornerstone, and they know it, and we're just saying out loud what needed to be said, that much of the neglect to talk about the Holy Spirit, the nobody's having conversations about women in leadership, the avoidance of some topics, the fact that nobody in the Baptist circle will preach a robust sermon or series about Mary at Christmas. It's all an over- reaction to Roman Catholicism. And the fact that you say, why don't Baptist churches say the Apostle Creed? Because the word Catholic church is in there. Yeah. And so there's no way that's ever going to be said out loud in a Baptist church. Right. And it doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means universal. That's all it means. We believe in one. Listen, change the word, make it global and get your people saying the Apostles Creed, you know, say universal. But even still, we don't have to overreact to everything that a Catholic does, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating as a religious leader of evangelicals to see the knee-jerk reaction all the time that pulls you so hard in the other direction. Listen, you're now erring into a bad doctrinal position by overreacting and making a mountain out of a molehill or making the scripture say things it doesn't. So anyway, the big point is we need some reforms. We're getting there. And the Holy Spirit gives us many weeks here to just discuss this fall where we are and what the Bible's saying. And again, this is what we care about. We want to know what is said in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit, what is said in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, so now what do we need to be saying about the Holy Spirit? Right, because we understand him based upon the way that he's revealed himself. Correct. And he's revealed himself all through Scripture. And I'm really glad that you brought up the Old Testament just now, because this was kind of the topic of your sermon two weeks ago, where you talked about even from like the opening lines of the Bible in Genesis, the Holy Spirit is already introduced as a key player in this story that we're going to... First mention is like the second verse. Yeah. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters in the creative act that's happening there in Genesis chapter one, verse two. So the Spirit is there. We learn from the New Testament. John talks about it. Paul talks about it. Colossians that without Jesus Christ was nothing made that was made. He was the actor and creator. Mm -hmm. So you say, well, okay, who is actually doing the creation? Is it God? Is it the Spirit or is it Jesus? Yes. The answer is yes. You have God, the Trinity working in a unified way to do the creation and the creation is attributed to the spirit and to the son and to the father. That is correct. And so we don't even have tension about that. We just accept that they are working together in unity. And it's not like Jesus is in a lawn chair with a cold drink and God's over there saying, Hey, I'm going to create something. And the Holy Spirit's flying around saying, I'm going to buzz around here and look down. It's not like that. It's like one entity working together in the creative act. And so the Spirit's mentioned right out of the gate in the scripture. Not accidentally. Not accidentally. This is on purpose for sure. And again, Moses writing the opening books of the Bible, telling Israel her story because Mm -hmm. she had come out of slavery and for hundreds of years, their new identity was slaves. And for 400 years, that was now ingrained into them. You know how deep being an American is ingrained into us, how patriotic we are and, you know, stand for this, put your hand over your heart. There is an emotional reaction to seeing a flag. Correct. The whole thing. Yes. So imagine being slaves for 400 years, and now you're like, okay, this is our identity. We're nobodies. Mm -hmm. And so Moses starts writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the opening books, 
to tell Israel, no, this is your beautiful story. You're God's chosen people. God created you to be his people and begins to unravel the story of Israel for them. And it's not an accident that Moses talks about the spirit and Moses will be one of the key sources of information about God, the father Mm -hmm. and the spirit for us as he encounters God on Sinai, the whole 10 commandment thing, God revealing himself. I spoke this Sunday about the tent of the meeting where Moses met with God. And Isaiah would later write that the children of Israel, when God met with the children of Israel, it was actually the spirit of God that's meeting with Israel. And when Israel grieved to God, they grieved the spirit. So the prophet's understanding was that the presence of God in the Old Testament that Moses is speaking to, let's say either at the burning bush on Mount Sinai, this is the spirit's presence that Moses is encountering. So Moses is a key player in talking about the Holy Spirit. The prophets pick up the conversation of the Holy Spirit, and they have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. They are going to write about new covenant, new spirit, new heart. We hadn't even spoken yet about Ezekiel's dry bones vision where the spirit blows upon the dry bones and life comes into them. And Israel is essentially going to be reborn, going to constitute a new Israel. Well, all of that is reference to the spirits coming and filling the human temples in the New Testament. The outpouring of the spirit that Joel prophesied about was what Peter said was the fulfillment of Acts chapter two. Peter said, this is what's happening. The prophets are being fulfilled right now in the giving of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, the scripture is rich with this, but the Old Testament does speak about the Holy Spirit. But here's what's unique. It doesn't speak about him quite in the same way as the New Testament. Right. And I think it's a really important distinction that you're about to go on to. So God is among his people. His presence is in the tabernacle. It's literally displayed by a pillar of fire and smoke. Mm -hmm. His presence is upon Sinai. His presence is in the temple, but not necessarily in every Israelite. Yeah. It's not quite yet a permanent residence. Correct. So you have verses where it talks about God's spirit came upon them or the spirit was upon them. Yeah. The way I said it in the first sermon was the spirit was working with special people with special commissioning. Right. And where it's really clear, I give you some examples. Like when God said, okay, we're going to build a tabernacle and here's the directions on how to build it. Well, let's just say hypothetically, you've got slaves who were used to building mud bricks. Mm-hmm. Who's going to know how to build the Ark of the Covenant out of wood and gold and make it this ornate, beautiful thing that God wants to use as a mercy seat? Right. Okay. So the Bible will talk about And here were these people, and it mentions their names, and the Spirit inspired them, gave them supernatural ability to be able to build the things that God wanted them to do, which I think is beautiful because we talk about Spirit gifting now at Cornerstone as God giving you the ability to do whatever the church needs. Right. Here's a great example. They needed a tabernacle built. Do we have any great goldsmiths here among the children of Israel? No. Okay. Well, then the spirit of God's going to come upon some people and gift them to do what God needs done. Exactly. And so kings were talked about as special Mm -hmm. people who had the spirit of God, prophets. If you start reading through the book of Judges, you'll see the spirit of God come up on a Gideon, come up on Samson, come up on 
Jephthah and fill them with his presence and give them courage, bravery, supernatural ability to go out and lead armies. And then on the other hand, you see the spirit of the Lord departing from them. Okay. Now this is great because this is like the King's illustration. So Samuel told Saul, you're going to go down the street and they're going to meet a group of prophets and the spirit will come upon you. You're going to prophesy with them. It says something about him being changed or transformed. You will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. That's 1 Samuel 10 verse 6. This verse never jumped out at me until this series. Yeah. But when the spirit of God came upon Saul, he was transformed into a different person. Yeah. Now I want to take that to the New Testament and start preaching that. Right. If that was a temporary indwelling. Exactly. Imagine when the Holy Spirit comes to live in the New Testament believer, you and I and our listeners right now, God expects that his spirit in you is going to lead to you becoming a better version of you. Yeah. You're going to become a different person. Yeah. You know, talking about the New Testament indwelling of the believer, right? That's something that actually the Old Testament prophets foretold, right? Yeah. Even in Joel, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Correct. And so there shouldn't have been any surprise when then the spirit is now universally found on all the believers. That is correct. And within all the believers even. So run back to what you were saying though. In the Old Testament, you're saying it seems to be more temporary. Yeah, because in 1 Samuel, it says the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Even David, he's asking, don't cast away your spirit from me. Psalm 51, that prayer, that song of repentance after he had sinned and that convicting power came upon him and he repented of his sin. That is his prayer. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Yeah. And... I think that's, it's beautiful, but you realize they're in a little different situation than us. And you have to read it as a different situation because otherwise, as a person living in this age where the Holy Spirit does dwell within me, if I were to go back and read the Old Testament without understanding how the Spirit operated in those times, I would think, oh, wow, will the Spirit leave me? Do I need to be constantly begging for His presence? I think that's an incredible thought that we need to pick up and talk about. Let me preach this sermon in a few weeks because I want to talk about, is that possible? Is it possible for you to lose the Holy Spirit? Because you clearly can see it in these two kings. Right. How it left Saul and David saying, don't let your spirit leave me, Lord, please. So what is that? And I don't want to jump in and answer that right now. So let our listeners wrestle with that for a minute. But this is spoken of in the New Testament. You have the answer and the resolution to that tension. But I think most people already realize they're in a different situation than that. So the spirit's being poured out. And again, we're going to come back multiple times to this upper room discourse. Mm -hmm which is, you know, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, these running five chapters, which is really John gets real detailed and slows the story down and says, this all happened in one night. It's five chapters, but it's one long running conversation. Yeah. John takes five chapters to record in great detail. Which just as a complete side note, if there's such detail on this one night, it probably means we need to pay attention. Exactly. If Jesus knew he's going to be crucified in the morning, he had some very important things to say. Right. And so he gathers the disciples together. And one of the conversations that he keeps having with them on this last night is, I go to prepare a place for you. This is that conversation now. If I go, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to make a place where we can be at home together. We're going to dwell together. Mm -hmm. I will send another to you. And in the Greek, it means another like me, another like the first kind. So I'm going to send another God in another form to you and he will be with you and he'll be in you. 
Jesus and then using the pronouns interchangeably. He says, I will be with you. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I will be with you. I mean, you have to figure out exactly what's happening there. Right. I'm going to sit at the Father's right hand, but I won't leave you as orphans. I will send another just like me to you. I will be with you. And you know what? I'm just thinking about, you made a statement two sermons ago where you talked about how it was special people had the Spirit of God. And that was how they knew the Spirit to be true is they saw his dwelling presence in very important people who were very critical to the mission. And when Jesus says, I will leave my spirit with you now, he's telling his own followers, you are the special people who I've chosen now. You are, if you're listening to this podcast, you are mission critical. Mission critical. To the mission of Jesus Christ. If you fail to make disciples, disciples will not get made. He has commissioned you. Yeah, which I think is the thesis of those final conversations he had. With hundreds of millions... 300 million Americans. Let's say 100 million of them claim to be Christians. Listen, with 100 million Christians, we ought to be able to make 100 million disciples in a couple of years, surely. We should. But because we're not on mission, Christianity is not spreading at the rate it should be spreading. Mm-hmm. We are not influencing our culture and society as we should be. And it's because, again, you're calling it out now, individual believers. Of course, the church is a group of individual believers covenanted together. So we could say churches, or we could even say individual Christians have not taken up the mission. And this is also why for years now we have ingrained here in Cornerstone to our people that the Great Commission, again, this is Jesus just before he ascends into heaven. He's already resurrected. Mm -hmm. He's meeting with the apostles and some larger group of disciples. And he says to them, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I'm about to leave here. I want to make sure you understand your mission. Yeah. Go make disciples of all nations. Right. Again, he'll wait a little bit. He'll take them out to the Mount of Olives. One more time, they'll say, okay, have you brought us to the Mount of Olives because we're going to Jerusalem and you're going to take the throne now? And Jesus is like, no, yeah. you still got the timeline wrong. No, stop trying to think about timeline and instead start thinking about your mission as believers, as my disciples. Yeah. I do think this is really fascinating just to think practically, you know, we have a very charismatic church, just the street over from our facility here in Fort Worth. And it's known to be very charismatic and very driven by the spirit. And I've been stopped inside of a Chick-fil-A so many times by people from that church who say, the spirit told me to pray over you. And they're really guided by the spirit. I'm not saying that I align totally with them doctrinally. However, but, I've, but I've, what is it? But what what is going on here? There's something happening. And I've rarely been stopped by someone who's theologically conservative who said, you know, the spirit moved in my heart to tell you these things, or the spirit wanted me to assist you in this way. Or, you know, it, it's just incredible how people who identify and understand the spirit's presence are more in line with the mission. Correct. And they're putting themselves out there. Yeah. They're allowing themselves to be vulnerable socially because they because see- Because it's not the easiest thing in the world to walk up to someone and say, the Spirit's leading me to buy your lunch or pray over you or yeah. to say, it's going to be okay. But again, the people who understand the Spirit's role in their life and take it with a little bit more gravity and understand that the spirit is a person to follow. They're the ones who are following him. I think the alternative could also be said. The people who minimize the presence of the spirit are less likely to be led by him. Right. I think some things are going to come into focus for us in the next few weeks as a church again about, you know, Corinthians again is written on this premise. What does it mean to be spiritual? Yeah. They're saying we are pneumaticos, 
in mm. Greek. We are spirit people. And Paul is like, yeah, not so much. You know, there's this tension then yeah. because they're saying basically Paul is not pneumaticos. Anyway, there's it, a conflict. Right. It, it's almost like they're saying we are spiritual and Paul wants to redefine them as spirit filled. Correct. And Paul's going to say people who have received the gospel, people who are following the spirit, these are spiritual people yeah. and people who are bickering over and dividing the congregation over. Those are not signs of the spirit. This is not the work of the spirit. Right. People who are boasting in knowledge and then not in the gospel. These are not spiritual mm -hmm. people. So first Corinthians is highly informative yeah, right. on that whole matter. So in the last week's sermon, we talked a lot about presence. And this was what I really wanted to share with the congregation. It's kind of the second part to the spirit in the Old Testament. And this week, we'll start moving more to the New Testament thinking here. But I wanted everyone to understand when Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit, we want to know what his understanding is. Yeah. And we want to get into his head and walk in his theological sandals for a little bit because he has an understanding of the Holy Spirit that you and I want. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now there is no New Testament. Let's just think about that for a minute. Wow, yeah. Paul's Bible is the Old Testament. Paul is writing letters to churches and to individuals, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, but to churches. So Paul is writing prolifically, but we don't really have clarity that Paul thinks he's writing the New Testament. Right, that's not the intention. There's, when he takes a pen to a paper or he, when he dictates it to someone who else is writing it down, right? Right. It's not with the purpose in his mind. This is an appendix to the Old Testament. He's not writing it with that kind of intention in mind. Correct. Now we know it's spirit inspired and yeah. obviously 2000 years of Christians believe the Holy Spirit led these godly people to write these things for us. Imagine the state we would be in without this. But what I'm trying to say is this. So when Paul in the first century is converted and encounters the risen Christ and turns from a persecutor of the church to a disciple maker, follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. He is filled with the spirit of God. Obviously, Paul has a great understanding of the Old Testament. Yeah, he is a scholar. Okay. What is his understanding of what's happening to himself and the believers who are following Christ now? What is Paul's understanding of the Holy Spirit? What you're asking is you're trying to see through Paul's eyes, the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we spent two weeks looking at the Old Testament as the foundation for this. Because it's greatly informative to how we should read the New Testament. Correct. Whatever they're saying, and I guess I can summarize it this way, Paul sees the Spirit's outpouring. Mm -hmm. We know Peter does too, because he's quoting Joel and saying, this is the fulfillment. And yeah. Luke is writing that book, Acts. So we know Peter agrees, Luke agrees, and Paul agrees, yeah. which is pretty good company. They all believe when the spirit is indwelling the believer in the New Testament, that this is the fulfillment of what the prophets were talking about, that God has made a new Israel of Jew and Gentile, because Israel is a concept, it's not a DNA. Israel is the idea that God will have a people for himself yeah. one way or another. And so this was Sunday sermon. When there was no nation who would follow God, God just made a nation. That's just so clever. God comes to a Gentile, appears to a Gentile in Iraq. Abraham, Abram in those days are of the Chaldees and says to this Gentile living in Iraq, I want to make a nation out of you. Yeah. I can see you have a heart. Obviously there was something going on in Abraham's heart. God chose this man. And, but here's what's crazy. An old man, an old woman. Unlikely. 
barren, can't have children, have no yeah. children. It's just the most unlikely scenario. It's almost in the world. like he picked their unlikeliness to prove his greatness. So it would be all of God and there would be no doubt. Yeah. It would all be a miracle nation. God's going to have a people. Now, here's what we learned. Let me just kind of summarize pieces of the Old Testament. Those people called Israel were not always good people. They did bad things. Well, and you see it very cyclical. They're on a high. They're really great with God. And then they turn it all around and just completely reject They go them. after and, idols. And it's just on this, on this Ferris wheel where we see yes. it go all the way around over and over. Judgment and over comes. Then they repent. And, you know, a remnant remains. It is the cycle of the Old Testament. You're yeah. 100% correct. And so there's a lot of ups and downs with Israel. Mm-hmm. There's a covenant made with Abram. There's a covenant, again, made with Moses. And listen, while God's making the covenant, the people all agree, yes, we will be your people. The law is nothing more than the covenant rules. Right. That's all it is. And that's another reason in the New Testament, we're not trying to keep the law. We're not under that covenant. We're not Abraham's DNA in that sense. We're not at Mount Sinai. We were not slaves delivered from Egypt. It's a different era. But when God makes the covenant and says, okay, I want you to build a tabernacle between the building of the tabernacle, the giving of the instructions. And the actual construction being completed, that golden calf incident occurs, Mm -hmm. and the people turn right back to idolatry, which is the human proclivity. So the default mode of human beings. We are crazy religious, but we want to worship idols rather than God. It's just so sad. And when it happens, God is so angry. Now, this was the sermon we went through Sunday. And so God meets with Moses. God says, Moses, listen, y'all go on to the promised land. But I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel. You want to start talking about the personality of God coming out in a very intimate conversation? That conversation is fascinating to me. And Moses is like, what? What do you mean you're not going with us? We're your people. And he's like, what do you mean you're my people? You guys just all worship the golden calf. How can you even say that? And and Moses is like, yeah, but yeah, we're a little messed up, but we're going to work it out. Come on, God, we're your people. Be patient with us. These people are slaves freshly delivered they don't know how to act yet and give us some time and you know he really intercedes for the people Mm -hmm. and it's almost parent-like praying for their children or something when you are pastors praying for their congregation yeah you know god please don't give them what they deserve here have some mercy and god's like yeah you go but i'm not gonna go with you and moses is like if you don't go with us don't send us please we can't go without your and this is the whole thing presence yeah the presence of God was everything that distinguishes the people of God. And I want to apply that to today as well. What distinguishes us from the unsaved world is the presence of God in our lives. And you know this is true because then even in the New Testament where you see the fruits of the Spirit, Spirit yeah. the things that are identifying characteristics of people who are fully rooted in Him are things that are specially unique to the ones who are indwelled by Him. I think this will be maybe a whole part of a sermon for us upcoming too, that God's for the spirits, God's personality breaking out in your life. Yeah. And Moses is just like, God, don't send us if you're not going. And they, of course, wrestle for a while. You know, Moses is like, I want to please you. I want to know you, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to teach me. And you see a lot of the, again, parent type patience. Yeah. God says, okay, I do love you. I am pleased with you for having a heart to want to pursue me, mm-hmm. even if you get it wrong. You know what I'm saying? Even if you mess up, yeah, I do love you and I will go with you. And so that's just a super interesting conversation. But what was important to Moses was the presence of God. When they went into the captivity, ultimately, the Babylonian captivity, a thousand years later, the presence of God left. Mm-hmm. 
temple was ransacked, Jews carried slaves, and there is no presence going forward, not even in the days of Jesus. There was a temple again, but there was no pillar of fire, no presence of God in that way. And so Jesus shows up and Jesus starts saying things like, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Jesus has flipped the language and he says, y'all are still focusing on God coming in presence in the building you have down the street called the temple. Yeah. I am talking about myself. God is present with you right now and you don't recognize it. And he was referring to his body as the temple of God, him being a living temple. Mm -hmm. Well, now that starts switching the language for all of us now setting up the new Testament. And so in the new Testament, then We're going to have language of there are two places the Holy Spirit has put his presence, put the presence of God. One, in the assembly of the congregation. Two Corinthians passages talk about this and in the individual heart of the believer. And God has said, when the congregation gathers, that is my temple in Fort Worth. When Cornerstone gathers here for work, you are my temple in Fort Worth. And individually, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Which I think just to do kind of a commentary on the current state of, especially the American church right now, this is the problem with, you know, a church hopping mentality, where if I don't get what I want from this church, I'm going to go down the street to the next church and maybe find what I want there. If we're really to believe that God's spirit indwells the local body of believers and that this is his temple, then... We can't assume that we're going to go down the street and find a different version of him. That's really problematic. And it shows that we have the wrong intention for what church is and what it's supposed to be. A very wrong concept. You know, that reminded me of something. I think one of the greatest compliments that we were paid this past week as a church, Mm -hmm. and I took it very personally for the whole staff in, in a great way. One of the young couples in our church, we were having some conversations with them about their future. And they said, we are so plugged in here at Cornerstone. This is a unicorn. Yeah. So unpack what a unicorn means, Jeremy. It's a rarely seen, magically beautiful. And yeah. Yeah. it's something that we all want to aspire to, yeah. but you know, it's just rarely found. And I think that is true of, and how I would characterize my own time here at Cornerstone. You know, I don't want to get too much on our own back padding. However, what we have here is really special. It's special. Because we're not trying to be like anyone else. We're not trying to be better than anyone else. We're not trying to be anything. We're just trying to seek after what the Spirit has called us to do. Yeah, we are desperately searching the Scriptures yeah. And with all of our heart, trying to find what it means to be the best followers of Christ. To be the unicorn. <laughs> that we can be. Right. Yeah. You know what? And I wish not. I wish we could convince every church yeah. to open their hearts and minds to some of the things that God has shown us right. that needed to be reformed. And I would say our leadership and our church has united together in such a way that the reforms have been possible. Mm-hmm. and beautiful. And we're watching people grow spiritually and disciples being multiplied. And obviously we all know, we don't have to talk about what we just came through, but came through a year and a half and more of some incredible territory here that yeah. was very difficult. And to see the church health, not just maintain, but be you know flourishing because of all the relationships in the church and the discipleship, the spirit that thrives here, It's just been awesome Mm -hmm. to be a part of this. So what you have to look forward to in the next few weeks is more conversations about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about, as you brought up, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. We need to talk about what the baptism of the Spirit is and the filling of the Spirit. You're getting scary now. No, no, not at all. And we need to talk about what are the implications that God lives inside you. Yeah. 
Sunday, we're going to talk about getting to know the Holy Spirit as a person, not mm-hmm. an it. Yeah. So we've got some great conversations to have in the days to come. And I want to remind everybody too, one of the things we said Sunday was one of the takeaways was besides the fact that we need to repent for ignoring the Holy Spirit, we needed then the positive side of that is to be proactive and start conversing with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, you know, we challenged everybody, hey, when you wake up, maybe even before your feet hit the floor, start having conversations and saying, okay, acknowledge him. I'm alive. Holy Spirit, you're still with me. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. How are you? I wish you would help me today. Bless this day. Guide me today. Give me wisdom today. I've got to go make breakfast, get the kids ready. You know, here's yeah. the things that are on my plate. Can you please be a friend to me? Yeah. And just start that dialogue, you know, and maybe at noonday or somewhere in the day, midday, set a reminder on your phone, stop and acknowledge the Acknowledge Holy his presence. Yes, exactly. And it's sad because as foreign as this feels, I think really illuminates and highlights how badly we've ignored him. Correct. The fact that it feels uncomfortable even to wake up in the morning and say, what a wonderful day, Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank you for granting me this opportunity to serve yeah. you be with me today. The fact that that kind of statement first thing in the morning, it feels foreign to us, shows how deeply neglected he's been in our lives. Right. So when we talk about reformations, there's the first one. Let's begin to acknowledge the Spirit's presence as resident in our hearts. Because he is. Yes. I don't know about our listeners, but for me, going through the Apostles' Creed has been such an incredible moment to learn, to better understand, and to be able to more fully articulate my faith and the reasons why I believe the things that I believe. I'm hopeful that as we talk about Holy Spirit and we really dig into how he indwells us and the way that his presence fills our hearts each day, I hope that this is really challenging and helpful for you in your own personal walk. Listen, as you do your own studies at home or on your car ride to work or wherever you may be listening to this podcast, we know that there's questions that come up and you'd love to be a part of the conversation. We would love that too. If you would text us at 817-809-3040, we would love to be able to respond to you. Listen, I know that this has been such an incredible and invaluable resource to so many. We have people all over the world who are listening weekly and can't wait to see the new podcast being posted each time that there's a new episode. We cannot do what we do without support. And so we're so thankful for the people who see this as a ministry opportunity. If you'd like to join in and support us in what we're doing, you could do that by making a financial contribution. You can text your amount and the word podcast to 84321. So if I'm giving a $5 gift, I would say five podcast, and I would text that to 84321. What that's going to do is help fund this ministry and help us to continue to bring these episodes and help deliver this content to you as we continue these cornerstone conversations together. 